Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, November 22nd. As crazy as it is that it's almost Thanksgiving time, we're all getting ready for the holiday season. We do still have a little bit of professional tennis we need to wrap up before we can focus our mind on the basketball season, the football season, all the things that come with winter time. The event on everyone's mind, really the only action going on this week. Of course, the Davis Cup in Madrid. Now it's a new format this year. There's group play. It's round robin. It's only three rubbers instead of best of five. Uh, A lot of different things for us as fans to observe absorb and get used to it's instead of three out of five sets it's two out of three as well so there's been a lot to process and it's been a fascinating thing to follow all week long joining me today to talk about that Davis Cup action to help set up the weekend quarterfinals and what should be a really fun final weekend of tennis during the 2019 season you know him as our insider at tennis.com for tennis channel a frequent guest on our mini break podcast Kale Hammond welcome back to the show Thank you, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that um, uh, politics update before. That was that was beautiful listening to you talk about that. I mean, you you definitely, <laughs> if you don't have one already, I would I would, I think you should start a, start a nice little podcast. Um, you know, <laughs> well, you know, Bolivian podcast, uh, Bolivian politics are my specialty. So anytime you have questions about Bolivia, I'm happy uh, to <laughs> fill you. And uh, no, listeners, just so you know, yes, I do have interests outside of tennis, and sometimes we like to discuss those. But we won't let that seep in today because the, as much noise as there is outside of the tennis world, I guess that's the way we'll put it, there is still some tennis going on. And Kale, I know you, you, know, you guys at Tennis.com have been inside the action all year long, but I'm curious from your perspective because there have been a lot of changes in this year's Davis Cup to absorb. What have you thought about the event thus far? Well, you picked the wrong guy to talk uh, Davis Cup with you because I'm just this season is just killing me. And at the end, the <laughs> tail end of the season, they just have another week long thing that's going on. It's it's getting out of control. It's middle of November. The season starts in January, and it's middle of November, and we have the entire you know we have the world's top fifty playing a, a full week long tournament, and I just it is killing me right now. But I will say it looks really fun for the players. The feel you get from the players, social media accounts, the people there on the ground, they're having a blast, and um, they're enjoying every second of it. Uh, In the media, we're definitely not enjoying the extended um, action. I think we're all ready for a break. But it's been cool to see the fire you know, from these guys. And the new format, I think, is... The shortened format's great, but like at the same time, like don't have a match start as late as they did for the USA uh, Italy match. That's just out of control. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I'm glad you do. Like, let's start with the cons because we've listed through some of them uh, throughout the week. But just to clarify again, number one. Thank God we have the advent of YouTube in 2019 because without it, I wouldn't have watched a single second of these matches. I have yet to see. 
a single second of action live now. The, it, the event being in Madrid, obviously, there's going to be a time difference for those of us here in it the United States. It was on at 7 States. p.m. It was yeah. <laughs> and, 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 like, that's great, but... I guess from the player's perspective, there are those kinds. Well, it's just not readily available, right? It's like on FS2 in some places. It's on different streaming depending on where you are. There's no uniform way to watch it. You can get certain streams, obviously. But, yeah, it's the fact that you don't even know when these matches are going to start and finish because there has been – it just it seemed chaotic. I mean, I'm checking my live score app, and, and, and it's usually fantastic, and I just don't, I don't have anything. I tried to download the, the Davis Cup app. And it didn't work. And I tried to go on the website. I was on my phone. I wasn't on my computer at the time. And I couldn't get anything to work either. And everything else worked. It's like when I went onto their site, the touch screen on my iPhone just stopped working. And then when I closed out of it, the touch screen started working. So I didn't know what was going on. It's been a nightmare to try and you know pay attention to and keep up with. But yeah, like you said, you see the highlights. You see the Instagram stories. And you see the YouTube videos. And it looks cool. I mean, it, it looks cool. It's The tournament you know, sort of designed in, uh, by a player, a former athlete, uh, PK. And so you can see how the, the athletes love it. I think it really caters to them. But, you know, just changing it up like this is I, – I don't think we have enough information to make a complete decision, but we just know that some of the scheduling just got out of control, and that's unacceptable. Can't happen in a tournament like this where, you know, there's a lot on the line. A team that is, you know, loses that much sleep is at a huge disadvantage moving forward you can't you know you can't pull an all-nighter in the middle of a huge week of davis cup and be expected to compete at the same level as the people who got to play you know at 11 o'clock absolutely and again i want to get to the pros because you talk about it being a, a tournament structured for the players i think they're enjoying you know alex dimenauer today in his australia versus canada match just watching his reaction throughout every you know each the ebbs and flows of that match Obviously, these players care. You listen from players such as Andy Murray, the Opelkas, the Fritzes. Uh, I mean, you can go throughout the list here of the players who are playing in this event, and they all do give, you know, glowing reviews. No, the crowds haven't been huge, but the event, you know, the access for the players, where they're able to be, how they go around, they, they all have being around one another for this extended period. They all do seem to be enjoying that. But yeah, like, I mean... All right, Kale, I'm not saying you and I have experience in terms of planning a large-scale event like Davis Cup, but it speaks to the fact that this whole thing has felt rushed to get these changes in because, you know, let's say you and I were planning an event like this, right? I feel like in one of our preliminary meetings, it's like, okay. Reminds me of the Sochi Olympics. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, but we're going to be like, yo, like, Kale, uh, how do we think people in America are going to watch this? And, you you know, right now this day is going to be like, ooh. That's a good question. I'd be like, well, maybe we shouldn't put on the event, Kale, until we know how everyone's going to be consuming it, how everyone's going to be watching it. How you know? I feel like that's one of the key things, and like that they didn't have that figured out from the get go. That you know, matches are going till four a.m. You're not really sure where it's going to start. I'm, you talked about the website and the app; they've gotten better as the week has gone along, but they certainly haven't been good. And I'm not saying Davis Cup is the only event where this happens because it happens at a bunch of tournaments. But like, yeah, you're an event of this magnitude, of this quality. This is the ATP Davis Cup. You know, yes, it's the first time in this format. But this is a prestigious event, especially given that it's November 18th through the 24th. You would think all of the other little things that go along with planning a tennis event outside of who's playing and what that play is going to look like would have been figured out. And evidently, Davis Cup has not yet figured that out. 
No, no. Like I said before about how unfair it is to the players to make them do that. And also, um, there was a funny tweet. Mark Lucero brought up a good point. He's a Shelby Rogers coach. He's super involved in the tennis community out here in Southern California. He's a great guy. And someone commented on Twitter. He said, can you imagine if the doubles match, talking about the Italy-USA match, was in front of 15,000 fans at 8 p.m. with a spot in the corner finals for grabs? It really is an incredible level of tennis. And then Mark Luxero responded, can you imagine if this match was in Rome or Charleston? Like, it, the level of intensity and atmosphere, we lost that with each individual country, which made the event more special than anything when the fans were going crazy. I've been to a Davis Cup match. I watched Pete Sampras in Oklahoma City. They played at a Davis Cup match. It was, a, it was in Oklahoma City, and we had nosebleed seats to see Pete Sampras, and I was a big tennis fan. It was packed. It was fantastic. And, um, yeah, I, I think that having it all in one place is great for the players because, you know, you're with your homies, you're there, you're playing, everyone's there, everyone's playing each other. It's sort of like a mini Olympics, which is, I can't imagine the feeling, but I'm sure it's spectacular. And then after what? After you lose, you get to party with your boys in the off-season in Madrid? The whole, like, and you have all of your homies from the ATP Tour are there, and everyone's going out. It's, I'm sure it's a blast, and I'm sure the players love it, but you, you totally lose that patriotic aspect of it. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I think I think that's completely fair. But to shift gears here, because I, I think that's a common sentiment that's been expressed amongst many fans. But to get back to something you said earlier, because I know you're not writing off the entire Davis Cup when you criticize that aspect, but it's still early, right? Sample size is small. Exactly. There are certain things about this I very much like. I like that it's a one day match. I like that it goes single singles doubles. We know who the winner is in one day, and there is something when you're flying out to separate countries. If you're going to America, you know, for a specific event, you don't want that match to just be one day and then the teams go their separate ways it made sense that it was five rubbers best of five sets under that format but the quick hitting nature of this tournament I have very much enjoyed that I have enjoyed how much pressure it feels like each match uh contained given the fact that there are only three rubbers that you know we saw today Philip Krajinovic knocked off Joe Sanga and just like that because Serbia has Djokovic they're gonna win the match you know an upset in this format is that much more important Plus, given that a lot of these teams have one stellar singles player, the doubles point is that much more important. It's one all. And so more often than not, although we've seen you know a mix of results here, but more often than not, especially with these good teams, you're going to get a doubles rubber out of it. And that means we get the chance to see players like Rublev and Hatchinov team together. We get the chance to see Shapovalov and Pospisil team together. And it, 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 like you mentioned, these players seem comfortable. They seem to be really enjoying it. I know it's the end of the year, but the camaraderie of it, the shorter, the brevity, I suppose, of each match, it's allowed them to lock in. And I think that's a net pro. I think that, A, that we're all f- able to focus on the entirety of the Davis Cup event at once because it's so spread out over the year. That's sometimes a, a problem, but to get to focus on it all at once is good. I also think that's part B is, well, you know, part of any tennis event is how is the quality of tennis. And this Davis Cup, the quality of tennis has lived up to it. That's an excellent point you brought up about the the brevity of it and how how good it is that, like, in one day, oh, what happened today? You know, Canada beat Australia. You know, USA beat Italy. Like, that is cool. Now they're moving on. Like, that is is awesome. 
I agree. And uh, your points about the one day, yeah, the one day is, 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 is awesome. It's good for the players. It's good for the overall intensity level too. And there's certainly no lulls in the action in this format, which is, is a good thing for the watchability of it. I just wish we could freaking watch it. <laughs> yeah, no, without a doubt. And again, as I mentioned, that's part of the joys of living in 2019 is that we have places like YouTube and without giving away the specific accounts because, and I say this lovingly, ATP, they're going to want that content for themselves. So they'll take it down, I'm sure soon. But YouTube.com, Davis Cup, I promise you'll find what you're looking for. And that leads me into <laughs> some of the the matches. Yeah, you no, like that? No, not yet. ATP is like the MLB with their freaking highlights. They just take everything down. <laughs> It's like, what are you? Look at the MLB. That sport's not growing. Like, let people curl up and share. Look at the NBA highlights. They're everywhere. Oh my god! All right. So, do you want to do this for two seconds? Because we've done this correlation between highlight accessibility and popularity of sport. If you studied it. Oh no! I so I could not agree with you more. But and I'm all. Let me preface by saying. In the two sides of this debate, I'm on your side. I feel like, again, it's about accessibility, 100%. How are you going to like a sport if you can't see it? Especially a sport like tennis where one individual point, because there are so many, but one yes. individual point can showcase and shine for yes. the sport so well. Like <laughs> uh, the tweener, the drop volley, whatever it is, a crazy physical point, it can just be shown off so well. And yeah, tennis is very stingy with whom they allow those rights to be shared because in a sport where revenue isn't just free-flowing like it is where you have the NBA, TNT, ESPN TV deals like you do in the NBA, uh, the the rights to the footage is that much more valuable. But especially when you don't have TV rights worked out, like, yeah, it, it, having outlets such as YouTube to watch match highlights or Twitter to where it's not just the one Davis Cup uh, tweeted out video, but you have the accounts like Double Fault or Matt Willis tweeting out uh, gifts of the action. That's just as important for promoting the sport. Like, I could not agree more. But at the same time, we got to make money. And like the ATP is in the business of making money. It's not in the business of giving away free shit. And that's like something they keep in mind. Yeah, but it should also be in the business of growing a sport, I think, um, more so than anything. But yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's all it is all about money at the yeah. end of the day. That's what really is because I agree with you. And then whenever someone, I think it was Mike Cation to be honest, who was like, "Look, Alex, it's always going to be about money or whatever." I don't want to yep. attribute that directly to him, but it that's a sentiment I've gotten yeah. from many <laughs> others. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but he should he should try and copyright that quote. Exactly, that's the official. It's always about the, the money, Mike Cation. <laughs> yeah, Mike Cation of the Coffee Cast, brought to you by a new sponsor, Money. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of '90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Um, yeah, I, I just think. Well, I guess getting back to it though the quality of tennis because there's been a ton of quality tennis for us to see in one of the matches of the day the only quarterfinal action we saw today did come down to a 2-1 decision uh we had team canada of dennis shapovalov vashik pospisil faa on the bench but the threat of him as well going up against a team australia that today was without nick kyrgios but still had the combination of alex dimenauer john millman uh, John Pierce, who former number one doubles player in the world in doubles, uh, 
And in, in the end, we got the 2-1 matches. We've grown so accustomed to seeing all weekend Team Canada taking a straight sets victory in the doubles rubber to advance to the semifinals. Now, Team Canada, not only do they advance to the first semifinal for them in quite a bit of time, but they also, along the way, knock off the U.S., getting their first win against them. I think it was like in 19 tries. We sent out a Twitter poll today, uh, Kale, on our Crack Rackets account, and we asked during the 2020s, regardless of if they change the Davis Cup form- format or not, which of these countries do you think will come home with the most titles? And the ones that popped out to me right away, Canada, because of this team, I think Russia uh, is going to be outstanding with all of their young talent. And then I think there's a drop-off. You could maybe say Italy with Berrettini and Sinner, the U.S. with all of these guys, Australia with all of these guys. But this is my way of saying to see this Team Canada team perform in this way this early in the careers of Shapovalov and FAA, it's a testament to just how much talent they've cultivated as a country. Yeah, you could. You, I think it's deserved a case study of you know tennis Canada. This uh, the last the last you know ten years what they've done. Um, you know, just just it's not you know you get x amount of players like this. It, it can't just be a fluke, you know. But yeah, I mean, I mean, just yeah, impossible to see him healthy again because I was hanging out with him in the off season. He was nursing this back injury and he was starting to get into good good health and he was probably 10 to 15 pounds, you know, above his playing weight and moving around. And he was working so hard and to get there and to get the confidence back, it has been impressive to see. And he's such a valuable tool in Davis Cup because of his doubles ability too. If you're playing indoors, you have Pospisil in singles and doubles. That's huge, especially if he's fully healthy. And I think another thing that we learned is that the last several years, he was playing hurt he wasn't completely healthy he says that he is feeling completely healthy and great right now and he said he wasn't in the three years before and we saw him you know get up there almost crack the top 20 then he had a drop off he was playing at around 100 for a while and then he took the time off got the surgery and now he's fully healthy ready to go and this guy I would be he's definitely going to crack the top 50 pretty soon in the beginning of the year and then we'll see where he can go from that but he looks fantastic well, the winner in the Charlottesville Challenger, obviously, here in Madrid, we're playing indoors on a hard court as well. So for him to go into the first rubber, get a seven six six four win over uh, John Millman, in particular for Vashik Pospisil, uh, to serve as well as he did in the match, made 63% of his first serves, won 85% of those points, 83% of his second serve points. I mean, yeah, when he's serving this well, it's going to be incredibly hard to beat him and that he, you know, he doesn't get broken in this match, I believe. Uh, that's a lie. He breaks twice, two Millmans, one time. Uh, I think they both get a break in the first set and then just that one break of serve in the second set. It speaks to the level he was able to sustain throughout the match. And now, uh, you know, for Pospisil, former Wimbledon doubles champion with Jack Sock, I want to say 2014. Yeah, we know what he's capable on a doubles court as well. And, uh, you know, for him and Shapovalov, Shapovalov, who looked really good in Labor Cup doubles, has looked good throughout this tournament thus far in his uh, two doubles appearances. Him and Pospisil combined for a 4-4 and win. Always love a powerful righty with a powerful lefty as a doubles combination. And yeah, it gave them a margin for error because Dennis Shapovalov is playing as well as anyone, but when you can get one of the other singles wins and then feel good going into doubles, that's huge for your team. But 
Uh, I know, uh, you know, it's hard to watch all these matches in this match. Alex Dimenauer, Dennis Shapovalov, two of the young guys on tour who had the strongest finishes to the 2019 ATP season, play a barn burner of a match here. 3-6-6-3-7-5. Dimenauer gets the victory. I don't know if you got the chance to see any of this, Kale, but if you'll allow me to opine on this match for a second. it was Please just, do, please do, while I try and find <laughs> some way, shape, or form to watch this. <laughs> Again, YouTube. I won't give you the account, but it rhymes with Hennis Hallinge, um, and that's how you'll be able to find it. Um, no, but for Shapovalov, the confidence he's playing with, just wa- I mean, watch the tennis. The eye test, it, he passes it. Just He's going for his shots. He's serving so big. You know, I thought through the first set and a half of this match, Dimonauer just couldn't muster anything up on the returns. He was hitting, you know, little pop-ups for Shapovalov to hit huge plus one balls on and move into. And in that first set, Denis Shapovalov, 18 of 23 on the first serve, wins 67% of those points. On the five-second serve points he played, he went five of five in the set. Excuse me, that was Alex Dimonauer's. Let me try that again. Watch off, give me a rewind sound effect. You look for Denis Shapovalov in that first set and... Again, sixty makes 64% of his first serves, but he won 71% of those first serve points. Not 5 of 5, but in my opinion, even better, 11 of 12 on his second serve points. I mean, that's outstanding. I mean, he just he did yeah. so well protecting his serve. He's so confident right now. Is the second you give him a ball, doesn't even have to be in the middle of the court. But if if it's not past the service line, if the depth on it is questionable, it's a slice. He's going after it. It doesn't matter if you hit a high loopy ball to his one handed back, and he's going to try and hit a jump backhand down the line. In the break he got against Dimonauer in the first set, it was four deep returns that you know got inside Dimonauer. Dimonauer because he has big back swings will sometimes leave a ball short. And Shapovalov just attack, attack, attack. So even though he lost this match, the confidence he's playing with, I, I just think it bodes yeah. very well for 2020. Yeah, I'm watching it right now. He's absolutely cranking the ball. And you talk about Deminar leaving certain balls short. Part of that might be by design, honestly, because if he leaves, then his opponent goes and rips for an angle, and he's quick enough to cut it off and hit a winner. So that, that gets me to part two, if you'll, again, uh, allow me. It's that what Alex Deminar did today, I just— I don't know how he won the match. And sometimes this is a bold comparison, very, very bold. And I'm not he's saying got the they clutch do it bone. No, it's like a it's like a Novak Djokovic. It's like it doesn't really matter what you do because I'm gonna make so many balls. I'm gonna make your life a living hell, force you to play at such a high level for so long that I'm gambling that you can't Ooh. sustain that level. And Dimonauer on his own serve again started protecting it, started to get more aggressive with his serve plus one. But his speed, it's just ridiculous. Did you see at, I believe it was 4-2, the slider out wide that Shapovalov hit and the return that Dimitar got back for a short slice that forced Shapo to come in? And then Dimitar hit Dimitar the top hits spin the lob. Yeah, just that's the sort of stuff. That's where... demoralizing because he hit an ace and the guy hit, the guy hit an, um, he basically hit a drop shot slice return perfectly. I mean, that movement is just, it's pretty special. I, I, I made, I've made fun of him. People were comparing him to Hewitt. I was like, no, Hewitt's way. Way faster. I, I don't know. You can say wait, Hewitt moves way faster. This guy's pretty much as fast as it gets. Yeah, it's just so special. It's His gamble is that you know, you're not going to hit a good enough approach shot to where he's not going to get a clean look at a pass. If he gets a clean look at a pass, 
66% of the time you're losing the point if you're his opponent. So, yeah, it was just – it's special what we're seeing. And I love the contrast in style between these two guys on a hard court. So hopefully we'll get to see them battle uh, for many, many, many more times to come over the next decade of tennis. But I want to run through a couple of the other results real quick, and then we can preview tomorrow's matches before we wrap up. Most of the other quarterfinal matches were set today uh, because of its three teams per group. It's eight teams advance. It's complicated to figure out which second place teams. There are, I, I believe, six groups. So two, the top two second place teams advanced to the quarterfinals. That was decided today as Serbia knocked off, I believe it was France, 2-1, as I mentioned uh, for Serbia, I mean, look, they have Novak Djokovic, so that's about as sure of a point as you're going to get, and he knocked off Benoit Pair 6-3, 6-3, but they also got a massive win in the first rubber from Filip Krajinovic, 7-5, 7-6, over Joe Wilfred Songa. That was a match that featured only one break of serve through its entirety. Uh, I mean, for Krajinovic, we saw him make the Paris Masters final, I think it was two years ago now. We know what he's capable of indoor tennis. Big guy, big game. Uh, but this Serbia team's really good. And, I mean, they lost the doubles point. They had Tipsarevic and Troisky play. They lost to Air Bear and Mahout, but it didn't really matter. Um, and, I mean, anytime you have a team with Djokovic, you're dangerous. But they're going to play a Russia team next round, which, you know, they, that Russia team doesn't field Medvedev, but they have Hachinov, they have Rublev. That's going to be It's going to be fascinating to see which of the Russians matches up with Djokovic. And then, again, if it's one-all, because you imagine Rublev or Hachinov, whoever plays Serbia's other player, enters as a heavy favorite. Think we're going to get to see any Djokovic doubles action in this one? Uh, yeah, I, I think we might. Maybe, but it, I, I'm not sure. I think Krajinovic is such a good indoor player, and he's such a talented player who his whole career he hasn't lived up to his talent because this guy, we're talking like talent of his age group when he's a kid. Number one across the board, and it wasn't even close. Wales the ball. When he was 12 to 14, this kid was the best player born in his year in the world, period. He was an IMG kid his whole life, and you know sometimes you definitely struggle with motivation. Looked like he wasn't going to make it. Looked like he was done, his career. Then you slowly see him start coming up the rank. Okay, it's crunch time now. And you know, now he's, you know, he's... Been a, been a, made a ton of money playing tennis and Better. set himself up for a comfortable, comfortable life. But I think if you give him the motivation of, oh, you're on the team, and it's basically just you two guys right now playing, you know, you're, you're playing, you're the best player in the world, future best player of all time is on your team. I, this, the level that you're going to see out of him is amazing. And Songa is one of the best indoor hardcore tennis players of all time. Not just... Um, like not just in, right now of all time. I mean, so I think something like thirteen of his eighteen titles have come on indoor hard court. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's a huge win for Serbia, a huge win for their team, huge win for Krajinovic. My question to you: mo- most talented thirteen-year-old of all time was it Donald Young? Was it Krajinovic or was it Kozlov? Oof, dude, Donald Young was ridiculous. Dude, I, I'm convinced that 13-year-old Stefan Kozlov beats the current version. Um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's I mean, he was so good. And, like, back then, those slices, you're just like, what is this kid? Yeah, 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 for sure. 
I mean, that's a good episode idea to go through, you know, who the who the really, really top guys were at that crazy young age. Obviously, you have Nadal, um, but but tell, th- tell you what, 13, 12, 13-year-old 13 Krajinovic, uh, that guy, if you ever saw him play, if write in and tell us a story about how good he was because he was beating up he was beating up pros when he was no. when he was 13 years old. I have a friend, and you know, when you're not good at tennis, these are the sorts of things you remember. You were good at tennis, so this is probably uh, beneath you. But I won't name him because I know he listens to the pod. But I have a friend who consistently brags about his performance in the Little Mo's, and he's like, "Dude, I was dominating all of these other guys in the Little Mo's." And you're like, "Yeah, it's because you were probably the first ten year old who like could stand up straight." It's like this is like congratulations. So, was it yeah, our homie Dante Terenzio? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like who were the best twelve year olds of all time? It wasn't. Is that him? Did I get it right? No, 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 no. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no. It was one of my. It was one of my buddies. Uh, you, from he has. A, he's a very. He has a very New York uh, East Coast accent. So you threw me <laughs> off. You, you led the witness. Yeah, look, that's part of the theme of this week. Um, but yeah, so I, I would. I I don't even know what we were talking about before. But, oh, I know what we were talking about, and we were talking about the best 14-year-olds of all time, Krajinovic being one of them, Serbia, with a really fun match up with Russia. Uh, that's a quarterfinal we'll have tomorrow. Another one of the quarterfinals decided today because we already talked about Canada taking out Australia 2-1. Germany, a Germany team without Alexander Zverev. They are being carried right now by Philip Kohlschreiber, by my boy Jan Lendert-Struve, and by the doubles team of Kravitz and Mies. They knock off a Chile team 2-1 to win their group. They end their group, I believe, as the only one who is 2-0 with a 2-1 win over Chile and a 3-0 win over Argentina. Uh, this Germany team today to get by Chile, Cole Schreiber knocks off Nikolas Jerry, 6-4-6-3. Christian Guerin uh, knocks off Jan Leonard Struff, 6-7-7-6-7-6. Two of those tiebreakers going beyond the seven-point number to get the win. Uh, Christian Guerin, a special talent. We'll talk about them. But then um, Krawitz and Mize get the 7-6-6-3 win in doubles. I mean, coming into this quarterfinal, Germany now will take on uh, a Great Britain team that has an Andy Murray, who obviously still on the comeback trail, has a Kyle Edmund, who hasn't been playing his best tennis of late, but then has maybe the best doubles rubber left in the field in Murray, Jamie Murray and Skupski. Uh, again, given that both of these rosters in flux a little bit, Great Britain versus Germany, World War to rematch who you got kale <laughs> okay great britain versus germany Ooh, let's see i'm gonna go with great britain for sure on this one i don't think i don't think germany's gonna be able to hold up stroof dog indoors is tough right stroof dogs indoors is tough but you know who's tougher and stroof dog indoors is andy murray <laughs> i could not agree more i mean you want i agree yes so yeah you, you don't have to make a case here um i will say in terms of underappreciated tennis careers because he's not a hall of famer he's not going oh to he's memorable. he's the litmus test he's the benchmark you're about to talk yeah, about Cole yeah. yeah exactly he is, he is the guy he's the guy you bring up and when you yeah. say like people don't appreciate the lower ranked tennis players yeah then you know, you've got to watch philip Cole that guy's unbelievable but no one really knows who he is outside of hardcore tennis fans one of the most beautiful games i've ever seen and the most solid percentage games it's just so clinically perfect one of the best competitors you hardly see him ever getting pissed i mean the guy is just the guy is the guy is a model tennis player absolutely 
Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And so, like, this Germany team is really fun. I, I that they're in. This is why this event is fun because it's all in one week. Would I want to see a Kohlschreiber Struff team go month after month after month? No, and I'm saying that lovingly. We talked about Jan Leonard Struff on a Great Shot podcast for like 20 minutes, so don't say I'm biased against German tennis. But I'm saying. You know, this little rag, they're, they're the underdogs, right? They're the uh, Georgia, George Mason of this tournament. They're like the, the plucky little mid-tier conference team that you're like, come on, knock off Great Britain. Make yeah, they're the, goofy, they're the goofy-looking team. Yeah, they're the eight seed. They're the ones who, if you're betting on this and you want good odds, bet on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then our last quarterfinal to get into, uh, you look at, at the bottom of the draw. Argentina is going to be taking on Spain. Now, the Spanish team has had one heck of a journey through this draw thus far. We talked about uh, when you know they played the night match, but on paper, this roster. Mm. Nadal, Bautista Agut, Carreno Busta, Feliciano Lopez, Granolers uh, for the yeah, doubles. No more Bautista Agut. He, he flew home. His, his oh, dad okay. is sick. Correct, but I uh, yeah. appreciate the update. But still, with Nadal, that's that's a pretty sure thing. You know, you're going to get the one rubber. Carreno Busta uh, has been playing so well as of late. And then Lopez Granolers and Nadal that you can switch around in doubles. I know Diego Schwartzman, fellow Jewish player, obviously, so i got to give him some love for Argentina. Has the squad going, but, I mean, Spain comes in as the much more heavily armed team. Yeah, anytime you got Nadal, uh, singles and doubles, the guys, guys, one of the low key best volleyers in the world, and I would argue has the second best overhead of all time. Ooh, Rafa Nadal behind Roger? No, Pistol no, Pete? come on, yes, yeah, of course. Good. I just wanted to make sure you were one of us. <laughs> I just need to, I just need to make sure. Look, okay. I, as a member of the All Eyebrow Team, Pete's my guy. So like. <laughs> I, that, yeah, yeah, don't. That's the I, best overhead of all time. I think I, I, anyone I, who comes to argues with me that I could just show them a YouTube video. They're gonna say, "Well, you're right." Well, I think I think Bob Bryan and oh my God, Peter Fleming and John McEnroe are like, "Yo, don't forget about us." Um, mm, but sorry, yeah, guys. I, his, sorry, guys. Yeah, forgotten. I'm working on a on a thing tomorrow. <laughs> Quick plug here about which NBA players can and cannot dunk. Sorry, which ATP players can and cannot dunk. And I was just thinking of Pistol Pete the whole time if he was still playing. <laughs> Oh. That guy would that guy would be able to two hand yam and jamma. Oh, we had yeah. I mean, we I had a coach back in the day who would try and um, he was a Cowboys fan, and so when he was teaching overheads, he'd be like he would do it, and you got to do the Troy Aikman leg kick, and he'd like do this accentuated leg kick as he's trying to teach like the overhead <laughs> moving backwards. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, scissor right. kick, but. Yeah, the scissor kick. Thank you. That's the term. Uh, yeah, that's again. You're good at tennis. I'm not. Um, so appreciate that. Uh, I guess we'll we'll wrap up here and then we can get some final thoughts. But your predictions for this weekend? Who's coming home as champion? Who's coming home as cha- Spain? Uh, you got to give it to Nadal. The guy's on top of the world. Finished number one in the world. The guy's got the juice. He's got the mojo. He's he's he is all in his man right now. This guy is just <laughs> such a stud. No one knows. No, it doesn't matter what you're playing on. This guy's a beast. He's such a stud. He, I, I, I was right, and this is an article, Nadal. So here's what I wrote about Nadal in my article. I said, Nadal right now, 33 years old, I don't know if he can dunk. Who knows? 2006 <laughs> Nadal could slam at home, okay? What are your thoughts on that? Can Nadal dunk or can he not? 
Ah, uh, so fun little sneak peek for our listeners, but we're doing our best of the decade series, and the next tournament we're going to be doing is best matches of the decade, so I've gotten the chance. I was watching, I think it was 2012 or 13, the one where Nadal beats Djokovic 9-7 in the fifth, uh, I want to say quarterfinals French Open, maybe semifinals, and like, I'm watching young Rafa, and yep. anyone who says, look, I'm not trying to deny that Rafa Nadal is is still an incredible tennis player. But I just think 2013 Rafa would slaughter the current Rafa. Like, just physically. This guy has 10 to 15 pounds more of muscle. He's got 10 to 15, you know, thousand more locks of hair on his head. He's wearing the capris. It accentuates all of his curvature. I mean, this guy was just so jacked back in the day. And, like, yes, young Rafa could take off his first step on that clay to push off the way he does. I mean, it was just so powerful. So yeah, I could see him get airborne. Yep. 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 For sure. And it's, yeah. So I think, I think Spain's going to walk away with a title. Um, I mean, it's a safe pick, but at the same time, you know, that's what, that's what you want. You want to win at home. Look, in terms of, I, I told you earlier on Cracked Rackets, we did the poll, which country is going to get the most Davis Cup titles in the 2020s. Uh, right now, Russia's in the lead with 37%, Canada 35 other uh, with the most frequently suggested being Australia with 23%. I think it's probably a year too soon for Team Russia to win. It also hurts that they don't have that they don't have Daniil Medvedev. Team Canada on paper, I mean, Shapoval is playing so well, and him and Pospisil, even if they go up against a Djokovic or a Nadal in doubles, Pospisil has, walks onto that court probably thinking he's the best doubles player on the court. And that means something. I would love to see a Team Canada title. But I have a rule, and it's never pick against Andy Murray when he's in a tournament. So I'm going to roll with my boys. <laughs> <Great Britain. laughs> no, I That's mean, a- it's I, either way, I'll take Great Britain just because. That's a funny rule. Yeah, Canada, Canada could absolutely win this with the, with the amount of raw firepower and talent they have and the fact that Vashik Pospisil is the Davis Cup MVP of the tournament so far and doesn't appear to be slowing down. No, not at all. I mean, it's his ba- he's been playing so well as of late. I agree with you, and it's so fun to see. But speaking of seeing, uh, I know we are seeing a ton of content from you on Tennis.com, all the things you are up to on Instagram. But for our listeners who may have missed any of the action or they want to know, you know, Thanksgiving week's coming up. What does Kale have planned? What do you got going on, Kale? No, oh, I just got back from the best wedding, one of the best weekends of my life in Mexico. <laughs> I made it there, thank God. And then... uh no, I just it's hoping hoping for some some time off. I got to work on Thanksgiving. I'm not going to do anything special. It's a downtime in this in this job. You good old God Almighty, you, you really don't have much time off. You know, you're working a lot of weekends. So we're gonna take a nice little staggered approach. We're all gonna get a little bit of a few days off to rest, recover, and uh, you know prep, get ready for the next season. But check out for that basketball article. I can't wait uh, for which NBA players can and can't dunk because. And I was talking to Riley Opelka and Tommy Paul about it, and without giving away too much, Riley Opelka is the funniest tennis player on the ATP tour. And it's not <laughs> even close. It's not even close. He roasts some of these guys, and it is so funny. He a sneak peek. No, it'll be out by the time this gets out tomorrow. Anyway, it's talked to who cares. But I asked him about. He goes, "Fun fact: Taylor Fritz can't dunk, and he's six <laughs> four, which is shocking." <laughs> <laughs> and then another one he goes I, he goes he goes I go Chris Chris Eubanks can easily dunk and he goes not so fast 
Not so fast. <laughs> I have a, I have a good authority that Chris Eubanks can barely dunk, which is sad. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most fun like, I ever had doing Frit, a piece of content Fr- for sure. Fritz not being able to dunk is the least shocking thing I've heard today. Uh, I know, but dude, yeah. if you're six foot four professional <laughs> yeah. athlete, you got to be able to get your hand above the rim with the ball in it. Dude. I'm what six two and I can like barely touch the rim with my hand. I can do it, but it's not comfortable. Taylor Fritz has stronger legs than you, bro. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, last thing, I'm gonna just give it away all the good stuff. But uh, I, 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 Tommy Paul, if he could dunk, and he said no. Like obviously he can, he can dunk, he can dunk a volleyball, but he can't dunk a regular sized basketball because he says his hands are too small. And so that's a Riley, and Riley goes, "That's what everyone who can't dunk says." <laughs> Riley just pulled no punches, and it was it was the most fun piece of content I've had the chance to work on. So yeah, check that out. And that's about it. Thanks for having no, me on today. Of course, it's always a pleasure. And for our listeners, we know Thanksgiving week is coming up. We think we think uh, it might be slow on the mini break next week. If you don't see an episode every day, don't be surprised. But listeners should know I have seven interviews scheduled for the next week. Uh, so, you know, taking advantage of people's downtime, they finally have some free time. We are going to make the most of it for you listeners so that you have things to listen to when you're trying to get away from your family for a Thanksgiving break, when you fake that inevitable bathroom break before dessert, just so you can take five to 10 minutes to yourself to recuperate, relax, uh, maybe check how your fantasy football team is doing. So be on the lookout for all of those podcasts, great shot podcast, cracked interview podcast, all to be found on our website, crackedrackets.com for the more immediate updates. You know, the deal by now. Now, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. It's at Cracked Rackets. I had a really fun... Uh, uh, so I had this idea topic, Kale, coming into today because it was a Friday. I wanted to have a little fun. And upon further review, I 100% cannot... You know, We can't talk about it publicly, but I want to ask you the question every way, anyway. And so West off, get the violin ready to cut out when necessary. But Kale, uh, my question for you, this is going to be our changeover chat topic. Uh, moving forward, you're going to like, don't worry, I promise the answer is going to get cut out. But And we're back. I'm on record here that this was told that it would not be all used in whatsoever, any way, shape, or form. Yeah, all that's going to be out, Kale. But I sent the question to 15 to, uh, let's say, 20 people. And a lot of people, it depends on your level of tennis. The better you are at tennis, the more you are. The the worse you are at tennis, the more it's the other way. All right. All right. Let <laughs> me say that to break, my friend. <laughs> Well, then on that note, shout out to the super producers, Max Ligner, Daniel Westoff, whose job I just made a little bit harder, but who, as always, has a of a job to do. Uh, Kale, thank you to you, as always, and again, for more of his content. Kale, what's the Instagram handle? At Kale Hammond, straight up. I got my full name. I got lucky. Yeah, well, it's technically Brian, but I'll let it slide. But for our co- for my lovely co-host from Tennis Channel, Kale Hammond, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and from our entire team at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Kale, what do we tell our listeners? That's a break, my friend. And we will see you all next week. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, everyone.